the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm an India. And we are your theory doctors. Welcome back. Hello. Um, we are talking about guns today. And um, why are we talking about guns? Other than the fact that it's a really cheerful and happy topic. Yes. And yes. fills us with great joy. Yes. Um, this is in the aftermath of Orlando, which happened a couple of weeks ago. Yes, for those of you who may not know, highly unlikely that anyone doesn't know, um, the largest mass shooting in American history in a gay club called Pulse in Orlando, which is in Florida. Um, 49 people were killed, another 53 were um, injured, um, and it has sparked as many, many incidents of gun violence do in the United States, a serious debate about gun control legislation, and as always, the Second Amendment. Yeah, so we'll, we, this episode will focus uh, fairly, fairly closely on uh, gun control and the Second Amendment as it applies in the United States. Uh, there are lots of other ways in which we could have taken this discussion. Uh, we are preparing a whole other episode on LGBT rights and identity politics in the aftermath of Orlando. That would be another episode. We could have gone down uh, a, a more general gun ownership issue um, across other other contexts. So we could think of the Oscar Pistorius case in South Africa, um, the very recent uh, murder of Joe Cox, the Labour MP in Britain. These incidents might well come up in today's discussion, but we are focusing much more closely on uh, the Second Amendment and its ramifications in American history and politics. Uh, before we go any further, again, probably there, there won't be many of our audience who don't know what the Second Amendment is, but do you want to explain what the Second Amendment to the Constitution is? Yes, yeah, so the United States, of course, has a, a couple of founding documents that lie at the heart of um, its l kind of legal and juridical framework, the Constitution being the most important, um, and the Constitution has a... a set of, um, we call them amendments, um, and the first few are called the Bill of Rights, which are rights that are granted to all citizens of the United States, seemingly um, unconditionally, of course, the, the first one being very famous, the freedom of speech and freedom of expression. The Second Amendment is widely kind of quoted and cited as being the right to bear arms. Um, the full text of the Second Amendment we will get into more specifically, um, and we're going to dissect it um, using a, a combination of discourse analysis and historical analysis um, and talk about what the Second Amendment might actually mean and, and what it means now and 
um, how it works, how it functions. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, um, just for context, uh, if you haven't, you might like to look back at our back catalogue. and Our ever-expanding <laughs> back catalogue. And we did an episode on freedom of speech. Um, so look that up. Um, and a lot of what we're saying today might link up with, with um, that episode as well. Um, maybe it might be useful to sort of think about it on a, on a personal individual level. So growing up in, in California, the Bay Area, not I'm guessing not the uh, heartland of gun ownership in America. Was gun control and gun ownership a thing for you growing up? Um, yes and no. Um, California is, is, um, like in most ways, California is a bit of an anomaly in the United States, um, in, in many ways. And, and California actually just, you know, this week has passed, um, a new set of gun laws that further restrict um, access to certain kinds of weapons in California. So the the discourse and kind of popular sort of understanding of guns in California and certainly in the Bay Area isn't representative of a lot of the United States. Having said that, I did grow up in a house with hunting rifles um, because my stepfather... Um, who's no longer my stepfather, was, uh, he was a hunter and, and a fisher. He had licenses and he kept his, his rifles very, very far away from the house and they were locked and, and stored and I never ever saw them except in the context of hunting trips. Um, and we always had very, very serious discussions about gun safety and, um, and you know the the space being a geographer of course the spaces in which guns come out and how they're used and and how we see them he wasn't a he wasn't a kind of shooting range guy we sir i ne have never seen in person an a military grade assault weapon um not even close mm -hmm. not even i've never seen in person or you know anywhere near my house a handgun mm -hmm. for example and this is you know a lot of Americans, I think, especially people who are who are very kind of pro-gun control in the United States, think of Britain as being mm. um, a gun-free society. But, mm. of course, Britain is not a gun-free society. Mm. Um, there's a, a very long-standing tradition of hunting and owning hunting rifles in the yeah. UK. So, actually, my upbringing was very similar mm. to yeah. a, a kind of upper-class British, mm. British household in terms mm. of of gun ownership, mm. which was about the, the kind of sportsman yeah. outdoors, yeah. um, hunting aspect. Yes. Um, having said that, of course, other members of my, f my family and, you know, the other households that I lived in, mm. you know, my dad's, for example, were, are very, very anti-gun. Mm. Um, and my household now mm. is very, very anti-gun as mm. well. So, um, I have some experience mm. with, some of the more kind of pro-gun world, yeah. but really very little. Um, also because my stepfather was very kind of pro-license mm. and 
you know, following the law and very, he was very careful. But I have been to gun shows, yeah. which is, you know, a, a, a controversial space yeah. at the moment. There's a yeah. discourse about gun shows right now yeah. um, as, as part of this. Mm-hmm. So some mm-hmm. personal. So, I mean, from, from what you said, it, it is very clear that even though the right to bear arms, and as, as you said, we'll, we'll explore the language very carefully in a bit, but the right to bear arms is a federally sanctioned central fundamental right, but it is applied very differently across state borders. Yes. Yes, it is. Mm. And culturally as well. Mm. It's, I think it's it's quite different. And I think there's a, you know, there's also a class element here. Mm. There's a race element here. Mm. And there's a geographical element yeah. here in terms of um, if we're talking about urban space versus yeah. rural space. Mm. And the, the kinds of gun violence mm. that, you know, receive whatever it is, media attention, mm. you know, the, the type of gun violence portrayed in The Wire, yeah. for example, um, versus the type of gun violence portrayed in Winter's Bone. Yeah. You know, that mm. we're talking about a massively diverse yeah. gun culture that yeah. I think is definitely unique. Yeah. So states which have enacted gun control in, in whatever fashion, for example, California... That those laws are therefore not perceived to be uh, hindrances, or they're not perceived to be sort of effectively stripping people of their Second Amendment rights. They are, um, to a certain extent. Mm. There are, you know, opponents of of gun control in in California, and certainly the latest round of mm. legislation was was opposed by a, a minority of. Yeah. Californians and and people outside of California. Um, Certainly, you know, one can argue certain things about the effectiveness of of gun control. I think these, this particular set of laws was was brought in partly in response to the San Bernardino shootings last year. Mm. Um, So the, there's not a, a, a kind of massive, kind of pro-gun yeah. control contingent mm. in that way. It's still yeah. controversial, yeah. even if the state yeah. manages yeah. to instate whatever controls. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned San Bernardino because I, I noticed 538 have done a, a blog post recently where they're charting the an upward trend in quote-unquote Islamic terrorists are using guns much more than they used to. And, of course, one of the responses to Orlando has been an increased demand to take people who are on the terrorist watch list and to stop them from having guns, so to expand background check to include that. Uh, I understand even Donald Trump has spoken out in favour of that. And it speaks to a disjunction, certainly to my mind, in terms of the way there is a general acceptance that certain civil rights have to be compromised in response to the war on terror or due to the war on terror. But gun violence does not elicit a similar response to any attempts to curtailing the Second Amendment rights. Yes, and this is, um, I mean, we've talked about this, George Takei is 
I think the his piece in I think it's the the Daily Beast that he, he we'll put the published. Yeah, yes. um, is the only piece that I've read um, that I felt articulated very well for me some of my kind of disorganized and yeah. and inarticulate thoughts about some of the the mainstream discourse about this which is which is this question of the first amendment versus the second amendment and how the idea of the islamic terrorist accessing guns changes mm-hmm. our willingness to seemingly yeah. um, give up our own our own rights. Yeah. Of course, there's a lot wrong with this, which is, of course, you know, th- this is more about perception than anything else because um, the gun control legislation on offer is very limited. Yeah. Um, we're talking about banning military-grade assault weapons that have been slightly modified for yeah. a civilian market. Um, we're not talking about um, banning guns on this scale. Yeah. I, I, I would argue mm. this is a a personal argument as opposed to a you know a fact mm. that you know the NSA and and GCHQ have on a mass scale yeah. um, created a technology of surveillance of an of the entire population, which of course is the mm the erosion of the First Amendment mm. right to privacy. Um, so to to make an equivalent claim, um, and George Takei does not do that, mm. he's much more, um, he complicates this quite mm. a bit in a way that I agree with and, and find very interesting. Mm. Um, but I I find the the idea of of giving up rights mm. for the sake of protecting ourselves from Islamic terrorists mm. to be that kind of co-opting mm. of the liberal argument mm. against government surveillance and, yeah. and, um, and, you know, discourses and practices of Homeland mm. Security in, you know, to use that, argument flip it on its head and yeah. say we need to restrict terrorist access to guns in order to preserve our own safety feels yeah. a bit perverse to me because of course the reason that gun control should probably exist mm-hmm. is i think different yeah i mean it's interesting that the certainly large sections of the pro gun lobby make the case that they believe that having guns is important to protect yourself from the kind of government tyranny that is rep- could be represented by the NSA and GCHQ and government surveillance and so on. So, in other words, the, the pro-gun lobby believes that arming yourself is necessary to protect you from the government, from the state. Right? Yes. Yes. Which is ironic because... The text of the Second Amendment suggests the polar opposite, because the first half of the the law says a well-regulated militia being necessary for the survival of a free, uh, the security of a free state. The the rights to bear arms will not be infringed. 
So it seems to me that if you look at the first half of the the, the text in in the Bill of Rights, it suggests that the 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 source of your second Second Amendment right is that you are going to be needed to preserve the state, not to preserve yourself from the state. Yes, and in a sense, it it almost makes the the case that the state owns all guns. Yeah, that civilian weapons can and should be mobilized at any moment yeah. for the preservation of the state. And mm. of course, the state is the the in constitutional terms mm. and in the language and the the time of the constitution. Mm. The state is is this new, yeah. um, perfect, ideal possibility for the protection of the rights of citizens. Yeah. And so th- the protection of, th- of the citizen with his gun, mm. and of course it was a his yeah. gun, yeah. is the same thing mm. as the protection of the state. Mm. Because that is the ideology mm. of the founding texts, the founding mm. documents. Mm. Um, this, of course, is a very fascinating. We've talked about the the irony of Trump's patriotism yeah. and the the contradictory yeah. and hypocritical nature of Trump's mm. patriotism, which at once highlights the glory and beauty of the United States, but also its horrible dismal state it's decaying but it's amazing but it's Mm. falling apart Mm. but it's the greatest state on earth but it's awful and it in a sense there is this same conservative impulse Mm. to to refashion the conservative citizens relationship to the state which is one of antagonism and tension rather than Mm. one of essentially equivalence yeah so, why, I mean, again, you know, polls are always hard to judge in terms of how accurate they are. But certainly, <laughs> a lot of the polling I've seen suggests that some of the more basic gun control measures, such as, you know, restricting assault rifles and putting people on the terror watch list. And background checks. And background checks seem to have widespread support. Yeah. You know, 75, 80%. I've seen polls suggesting that... And more, I mean, after Sandy happened. Hook, yeah. it was even higher. So if that is the case, if there is general widespread popular support for these measures, why has it been... And, and you know, we have an administration which is firmly behind gun control. Uh, the Obama White House has made it very clear uh, to the point where Obama said that... Uh, Democrats should not support any candidate who isn't pro-gun control. Why has it been so impossible for the Obama White House to do anything about this? Most liberals point directly to the NRA, Mm. um, the National Rifle Association, um, and most kind of liberal media sources Mm. and government media sources Mm. also point to this, that... PBS documentary, um, which I'm partway through, about the NRA and the the power and success of the NRA, um, describes the NRA as being the 
most powerful and most successful lobbying organization mm -hmm. in Washington. Um, it, many liberals and progressives have often described the NRA as an extremely vocal and extremely wealthy minority that positions itself as being, describes itself as being a silent majority, mm -hmm. um, you know, that oppressed yeah. silent majority conservative yeah. discourse but in fact they are representative of what is technically and statistically a minority of, yeah. of American citizens but mm -hmm. they're quite powerful part of it is you know economics mm. so the profitability of selling arms yeah guns are are money making yes. machines and death machines Except so is air travel is a money-making exercise and profitability in their aviation industry was clearly harmed as a result of the post-9-11 security measures. But that didn't stop them from happening. Is that because the gun lobby is more profitable than aviation or is it more powerful? It has it has been better able to lobby for its interests? I think that is probably the case. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the aviation industry is partly airlines and it's partly oil. Yeah. It's partly the energy companies. Yeah. Um, Which is also not half bad at lobbying for its interests. No, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, and the... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Hmm. Um, part of it, I think, is a, is an ideology hmm. and a, a kind of a cultural and social um, kind of yeah. insistence hmm. on gun rights as being fundamental rights on par with human rights yeah. in the United States yeah. that the the right to own a gun is yeah. is seen to be on par with your your right to legal representation yeah. um, it reminds me a little bit do you remember the 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 South Park animation section in Bowling for Columbine yeah um and it, you know it's been some time since I've seen the film but as far as I remember it Michael Moore's argument is that so much of America's relationship to gun ownership can be explained by a continual fear that white America has of non-white America. And therefore white America needs to constantly both spatially separate it out from non-white America and arm themselves. Yeah, which of course feeds in. So we're willing to um, restrict the airline industry and, and you know, seriously damage in economic terms the American airline industry yeah. and that has you know that is is happening yeah. um, but we aren't willing to restrict yeah. gun control and, yeah. and you know ideologically and discursively they are two sides of the same coin which is national security yeah. um, the question of guns is one of national security and ultimately that is where the debate lies which yeah. is um, you know a lot of it revolves around this idea of are we safer 
with guns. Yeah. And the many strands of the pro-gun argument rely on this idea that guns make us safer. Yes. And so does restricting air travel. Yes. I mean, the the profitability argument is is interesting because we, I mean, we can't forget that America is hardly the only country in the world that at state level profits from weaponry. You know, arms is supposed to be sort of the third biggest foreign exchange owner in Britain. So Britain has managed to heavily regulate private ownership of guns, but not let that affect how much the state can profit from international sales of arms in a way that America has chosen not to. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think if we were to to really look closely at numbers, which of course, um, being podcasters, we yeah. we do less research and do more talking yeah. when it comes to things like statistics, yes. um, uninformed rambling on yes. the internet. Well, we're humanities people. Yeah, yes. evidence is you know, yeah. truth with a capital yes. T, as I suspect. <laughs> but the. I think if we were to look at the numbers, um, and if anyone has these at hand, put them in the comment section, what John Green always calls the doobly-doo. Um, the international market for weapons, you know, for American companies would be the same. You know, it would be much higher than yeah. than the domestic market yes. for weapons. Yes. And so... Which, of course, you know, is also a liberal argument. You know, yes. to, when we talk about Halliburton in the Iraq War, and yeah. we talk about, you know, international security companies, private security mm. companies yes. doing three-quarters or whatever, you mm. know, 100% mm. of American military activity mm. these days, you mm. know, some absurd number. Yeah. That we... Economics... The economics aren't so different yeah. for the American yeah. again, industry. But, again, I, yeah. but I do think... The American market is different from the British market. Yes. You know, the, partly in the sense that there are more Americans than there are British people. Um, significantly yes. more Americans than there are British mm. people. And over the course of a person's life in the United States, you know, many people own many, 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 many guns. And also do gun-related activities. They mm. go to shooting ranges. Yeah. Um, they hunt. Mm. They go to... to um, gun conventions and conferences and gun shows and mm. you know there's a whole industry around guns that mm. isn't just yeah. numbers of weapons sold. Yes, yes. Um, it's it's interesting as well because I think one of the things that British people typically find it hardest to understand about America's relationship to its guns is the idea that you know the sort of guns don't kill people people kill people yeah that which is possibly the central pro gun argument that, yeah guns aren't the problem yes. and that's it's something that i think most british people just don't do not understand and it's it's really interesting that for two countries which on some level share so much it is such a fundamentally different view. And, and partly it's geographic, right? I mean, you were, you were saying this before we, we started recording, that, you know, America's climate and landscape means that guns have a bigger role to play than they do in Britain. 
Yeah, some parts of, of the American wilderness are quite scary. Yeah. Um, and, and are becoming less so, yeah. of course, but yeah. historically speaking, I mean, like Alaska, for example, can be a, a pretty harsh place to live yeah. um, and quite dangerous. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there is a, a geographical element yeah. to all of this. Um, I, th I mean, I, I, I don't quite understand this argument either, so I can't fully yeah. kind of explain it to you in terms that I believe myself, yeah. but I do, I do understand to a certain extent the idea mm -hmm. that, and so you see all kind of variations on this theme, which is that, um, Crazy lunatic murderers are going to find a way to mass kill mm, people, mm, mm, whether we allow them access to, mm, you know, AK-47s mm, or in this case the AR-15. Mm, um, mm, you know, whether or not we give them these weapons, mm, these crazy lunatics are going to mm, are going to mm, do it anyway. Mm, With planes, for example, you know, that's the kind of yeah, or 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 the the trans bathroom argument that we we visited a couple of weeks ago. The law doesn't apply. That argument doesn't apply there. That you know, if a man wants to rape a woman, the fact that he can't isn't allowed to go into a, a yeah. woman's only bathroom isn't isn't really going to stop it's him. It's not going to stop him. No, <laughs> not going. Yeah, yeah. And it's there's some. What I find really fascinating about this argument is if we take the gun crime statistics for what they show mm. and argue that they are reasonably accurate yeah, and yeah. correct as much as they can be. Yeah. And if we take this argument that guns don't kill people, people kill people, the United States is the most psychopathic, yeah. um, murderous, yeah. barbaric, you know, crazy lunatic... Yeah country in the world in uh, yeah. in if we are taking yeah. you know so if if people kill people and guns don't kill people mm. then the united states mm. has a serious social mm. problem because we're a country of murderers mm. so but it's it's that white fear isn't it i mean it it sort of it, it reminds me a little bit of Franz Fanon who says you know the the colonial is is, hates the colonized and is terrified of the colonized and is right to be because the colonizer knows better than anyone quite how bitter and angry the colonized is going to be and if yeah. the colonized rises up then the colonizer knows how much they have to lose and you you have that sort of the 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 presence of the gun the ownership of the gun legitimizes that fear you know, we were talking about sort of the stand your ground law, so the, the the law that specifically states that you are entitled to shoot someone if you are afraid of that person. And of course, we mentioned Oscar Pistorius in passing, and that was Pistorius's defence: the fact that he was afraid. He thought there was an intruder apparently, and therefore he was afraid. And that fear justifies the action of shooting someone. And when, if if you believe that that white fear in these two, admittedly very different, but both white settler colonies, you know, South Africa and, and America, 
if you accept that that white fear is a fundamental structuring framework of society, then you sort of have to have guns, because otherwise you you know you can't act on that fear. Yeah, how do you protect? How yourself? do you protect yourself? It's interesting too. You say sort of, in a sense, it it fulfills itself. Mm. The a lot of the the argument um, is that guns. If a if if school teachers right after Sandy Hook, this was big after Sandy Hook. If school if those school teachers had guns in their classroom, yes, they would have. Someone would have been able to shoot the shooter. Yeah, um, and. And so, therefore, schools should have guns. There is a sort of self-fulfilling element to this, which is if cases of, of gun violence continue to happen yeah. at the scale that they are happening at, yes. yeah. then we can continue to make this argument that we need guns to protect yes. ourselves from yes. guns. Yes. And it is this, this tautology... Mm. That, of course, liberals can't really mount a defense to, in a sense, because, you know, if the the point of guns is to kill bad people. Mm. Well, it's the, you know. and again, you made this point, it's the abortion debate, isn't it? Yeah. If you accept that guns make you safe, then how are you going to argue against having guns? If you accept that life begins at conception, then how are you going to argue against abortion? Which is why, and again, someone who isn't in America, the, the abortion debate is hardly exclusive, either of these debates are hardly exclusive to America, but following the debates on social media, there is a sense of weariness because you get the sense that these two groups are speaking at each other ad infinitum in both the gun, gun question and the abortion question because you can't, there is no way out. In a sense, it's not really a debate, yeah. because each sort of set of discourses can't speak to each other exactly. because the language is different. The, the terms that are being used on either side mean different things to the people using them. And it comes down to that first principle. And if you agree with that principle, then everything else makes sense. And if you don't, then it doesn't. And unless you come to the really difficult point of convincing another person to change their mind, on that underlying fundamental first principle, then you're not going to get progress. No, exactly. And I think the liberal, um, and not even really the liberal at this point, it's the mainstream and it's the government um, argument for these, you know, fairly minimal um, pieces of gun control legislation. The argument is one that has is trying to arrange the debate in terms of a, a population level versus an yeah. individual level yeah. occurrence. Yeah. So um, the idea is your individual rights yeah. are not impacted yeah. by this legislation yeah. because you will still be able to buy a gun. Yeah. You just will have to wait a little bit longer yeah. for it. And you will have to be subject to different licensing requirements and you will have less access to a few different (laughs) kinds of guns. Like really, you know, but you know, there's any number of ways that you can still 
fire an AK-47. You can go to a shooting range that handles and, you know, monitors. You know, so very little of the individual are impacted. And so they're the kind of the way that the the gun control debate is going now is to say your individual rights are not at stake here. This has nothing to do with your individual rights at all, really, because they're not going to be affected. This is a public health issue. This is a population-level statistical yeah. issue. Yeah. This is about numbers. This yeah. is a numbers game. Yeah. We are trying to keep people yeah. alive, specifically people mm. from vulnerable groups and backgrounds, yeah. which we'll talk yeah. about more yeah. when we do our episode um, yeah. on identity. Yeah. And this is about our population level public health question, right? And the individual doesn't, doesn't really come into it anymore. But of course the, the pro gun discourse is choosing Mm. to ignore that. Mm. I I love the irony that the, the second amendment in its very wording has the phrase well regulated. Yeah. Um, in it from the program lobby is all about, you know, regulation is tyrannical. And the security of the state. <laughs> yes. And you can I mean the, the, the lobbying question is really interesting because you can see repeatedly, you know, after you know the latest one which is to be described as the worst mass shooting America has ever had, you know. It seems every few months we have the next worst, next worst and Certainly under the Obama presidency, you get, I've seen a, a transition where he's sort of given up on getting Washington to do anything about it. And he's almost inviting the electorate to come up with an alternative lobbying association, yeah. a lobbying group where he says, you know, under the with the way Washington currently works, we are not going to be able to do anything. But the only way you can do that is to challenge any politician, any elected, any candidate who's backed by the NRA. And in other words, he's inviting the, the establishment of counter-lobbying as the only way to change it. The Obama presidency has been really interesting. He's He has, in the last couple of years, um, gone from this position of working within the government yeah. and talking about... Um, compromise and bipartisan mm. agreement and speaking across the aisle and coming mm. together yeah. which was the the language of his first yeah. presidency and also in a sense the the language that he mobilized when um when congresswoman gabrielle giffords yeah. was shot and a number of her constituents were killed yeah. in a in um a gun incident um in tucson mm. The, the the language was one of coming together and and now Obama has mobilized a sort of um, the government is no longer working for us yeah, yeah. as you know mm. as another citizen of mm. the United States yeah. you know none yeah. of us are being represented yeah. by the government yeah. anymore it's a fascinating and I've I don't I don't I can't think of an example mm. where a president yeah has said to the voting public, guys, it's your, we're yeah. screwed. Yeah. All of us together are I being mean, it's, screwed. It's quite, it's, it's, to me, nothing speaks to me as strongly as the force of 
the gun lobby in America as the fact that even someone like Bernie Sanders has a record of voting against gun control. Yeah. About the most progressive voice in mainstream American politics. But because he comes from a hunting state, he hasn't been able to... Well, I don't know whether he wants to or not, but certainly his public position has been... Yeah. This is not a simple issue. Yeah, I mean, part of that is is America has a different sort of class system. So in the UK, I know we said we were going to focus on the American context, but I feel like the British context, a lot of the gun control debate here and the way that gun control has happened here has been class-based. And whereas in the United States, access to guns exists across, across class. Yeah. Um, in a way that Americans find acceptable. Whereas in the the UK, um, you know, after Dunblane, you know, there's a, there's a question about, about what, what social classes deserve to own guns. And, you know, in the UK at this point, it's wealthy people who can access hunting estates. Um, and in, in the US, guns are a sort of shared across class Mm. value Mm. um except when it's of course um young african-american men in urban spaces who yeah the other big difference is um you know many is the time on on various demonstrations in london that i've given quiet thanks to this is the fact that we don't routinely arm our police in britain yeah and I think so much of police community relations, or so much of the difference in police community relations in Britain and America can be explained by that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the London Met with routine arms is a terrifying concept. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, if you think of the various deaths in police custody in America the fact that even statistically accounting for the population difference, that's so much higher. Yeah. A large part of that is that we don't have a police. Yeah. And if if civilians and police are not armed, yeah. you reduce the incidences where yeah. a police officer feels, feels yeah. you know, yeah. rightly or wrongly, yeah. you know, as the case may be, right, yeah. that they're being threatened by a gun. I'm, if I'm, you know yeah. that, you're, that you're, you're yeah. potent, your suspect yeah. is unlikely to have a gun... Yeah. I remember Chris Rock, I think, did a, a routine years ago where he talked about how, you know, what they should do is ch- ch- make bullets, like each bullet should cost $10,000. Because if a bullet costs $10,000, then you're never going to have an innocent bystander. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you'll have to think twice before shooting. Yeah. But there is, there is, there is you know, a lot to that. The, the self-fulfilling prophecy of easily available guns leading to more and more violence and then leading to the need for more guns to protect yourself from all the guns that are out there. Yeah, and then you throw that in with the with the gun lobby and yeah. corporate interests in yeah. in manufacturing and selling yeah. weapons. It... Yeah. Well, you know, if only if only then I listened to our podcast, I think we'd have solved it. I know, I, th- I feel like if we were in charge... Yeah. If you were the Senate and I was the House, yeah. we could solve. We could solve everything. Solve guns. Yeah, you know. Oh well. 
But tweet us with relevant articles, um, statistics that we totally misrepresented. Anything that you disagree with, anything you like, let us know. Um, send us your comments and listen up for a future episode when we revisit some of these issues through the lens of identity politics. Bye. Bye. Thanks a lot for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Richardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you.